Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically. Today, tomorrow, and every other day, our emphasis is on wellness and on personal growth and development. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating, The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym. It is your source of information about all things related to positive psychology, goal-achieving psychology, general wellness, and rejuvenating. As listeners to the podcast know, we try to have very interesting and enthusiastic guests who lead their lives enthusiastically, who can help us in the direction of greater wellness, greater enthusiasm, and whatever your age is, to try and maximize your ability to function effectively, happily, and with an achievement orientation throughout the lifespan. And today's guest is really no exception in that regard. I should point out many times I meet my guest a few minutes before we record. Today is an exception, though. Dr. Michael Marmira, today's guest, is not only a friend and colleague, but our homes are kind of within walking distance of each other if you're in good shape. Not a short walk, but if you're in good shape, you can do that. Michael is director of the outpatient practice at the Jefferson Headache Center, one of the leading headache centers in the world. He's also associate professor in the Department of Neurology at Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. Michael is the author of the book Essential Neuropharmacology. He has also written widely in other areas and is a frequent speaker, not only for patients, not only for medical students, but also in the training of other doctors. So it's a real thrill and pleasure to have you with us today, Michael. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Thank you for having me, Ron. Happy to be here. Well, we're looking forward to some of the things that you can help us in improving our own health and wellness. And I think the first thing that it may surprise people, some people at least, to know that there is such a thing as a headache specialist. They may be surprised at the notion that people have headaches severe enough to see a physician. On the other hand, I'm in kind of my fourth decade of working with headache, and when people hear about what I do, I've probably had five people in my life tell me that they never have a headache. So it's a frequent thing, very obviously. It's a common thing, but yet it seems like it's not always seen as being in the same category as other disorders where you seek medical attention. Yeah. In fact, there are, believe it or not, some people that don't have headache. I had a grandfather, never had a headache on his 94 years of life. But the most common reason that someone would see a neurologist and one of the most common reasons people see a doctor in general is headache. And by far, almost all the patients I see don't have what people would consider to be headache. They have migraine or another serious headache disorder. So the average patient that I see, the average new patient has a migraine most of the time, if not every day. And in some cases, patients have taken 
medications for many years, both when they have a headache day for chronic treatment and have seen multiple neurologists. So I kind of feel it's almost common to have a headache every day. I feel like those are the most people that I see. And even when you talk about people that are in primary care, most people that see a doctor of any kind, internal medicine, family practice, who have headache as their main reason they're seeing the doctor, if you actually talk to them about their headaches, they're usually severe enough to be migraine. And when they get that severe, how do you know it's bad enough? Does it impact on work? Probably the biggest single difference between migraine and headache that we see and headaches that most people have experienced in their life that don't have migraine is disability. Migraine impacts your ability to do even often very routine activities, and especially exercise. So when someone has, most people that have headache that's not migraine, exercise might actually help their headache. And, uh, you know, for me, that's actually could be helpful for distraction or exercise. Certainly, if you take medication, if you have milder headache, it's going to work even over the counter of the medication. But for patients with migraine, exercise is one of the last things they would ever want to do when they're having migraine. It's really important to distinguish between that. So for someone who has headache that's moderate or severe and interferes with activity, or if they're having things like nausea, light sensitivity, that almost certainly is migraine. There are obviously less common causes of headache, but migraine is by far the most common. So migraine is not just more intense pain, but it it has things like, you mentioned nausea? Nausea, light and sound sensitivity, sometimes odors, dizziness, tiredness. Some people even have confusion or weakness or numbness of their body, difficulty speaking. And some of those things are less common, but migraine, just about any neurological symptom can come from migraine. Anything from confusion to visual changes to sleepiness, Almost anything can be caused by migraine. Now, you still have to take a history and figure out, is this a new problem? What else could be going on? And and to keep an open mind about things. But migraine can cause almost any kind of neurological problem. And I think uh, it's important to know that when you're you know seeing patients with migraine, often I'm the person not just seeing them for headache, but I'm, I'm saying, well, you don't need to see a dizziness doctor. That could be migraine. You don't need to see a doctor for your sinuses. Migraine can cause pain in the sinuses. You don't need to see an eye doctor. That's your brain, not your eyes. So sometimes we actually can save people the trouble from seeing a bunch of different specialists for every single symptom that they have. And that often is nice to be able to reassure patients, say, this is actually something that we do see in migraine that is fairly typical for what we see. So patients are often very grateful to find out that what they have can be normal. Sounds like some of these associated symptoms can actually be worse than the pain for some patients. In some cases, it is. In some cases, the reason people see us, it may not be the headache pain. It may be dizziness or visual disturbances, confusion even. So sometimes it's not, it's more than just the pain. Yeah, this is really helpful to know. And so where does it come from? I mean, is there, if if you have migraine, should you be worrying about some abnormal structure in the brain or I think the first thing is migraine, it doesn't always run in families, but most of the time it does. So it's mostly a genetic disorder, but so many things can cause migraine. And then sometimes even serious other disorders such as viral illnesses or brain cancers 
can present with a migraine-like headache. So you really want to talk to people to figure out, is this unusual? If it's someone who's had a long history of migraines since they've been a kid, okay, that makes you feel a little bit better. If someone has never had migraine and now they're in their 60s or 70s, that would make you much more concerned. And in general, if you have a sudden onset headache that comes on with immediately, it's much less likely to be migraine, especially if you're having any kind of neurological symptoms. So I think if, again, if it runs in your family and you've had it and it comes and goes, most likely you're talking about migraine. But there's really, if you're not sure, there's no substitute for being checked out. And hopefully, you're, you know, even just your regular primary care doctor should be able to make the diagnosis. Okay, that's really helpful to know. And if you have migraine, can you give us kind of a short course on how, how migraine is treated? Well, I think that there are sort of three groups of people with migraine. And there's, there are plenty of people out there that don't see a doctor for migraine who have infrequent migraines, maybe only a, once a week or less or once a month, even some people that only have it on a rare occasion. So for people that don't have a lot of migraine, Certainly, there are plenty of medications you can take as needed, over-the-counter medicines such as Excedrin. There are triptans, which are migraine-specific drugs that can be used for most people if the -the over-the-counter medication is not effective. In some cases, people can find certain triggers, but sometimes it's very difficult to sort that out. So someone who has a migraine once a month, it may be that more than one thing is causing one of their migraines. I always tell people, if you always get a migraine every single time it rains, that's not good. You have to figure out maybe there's something that makes you so sensitive to having all these triggers with all these triggers that you need may need preventive therapies. So, but for some people with infrequent migraine, they don't necessarily need to see a doctor if it's well-managed and it's not a frequent problem or causing disability. And that's about a third of patients with migraine or maybe a little bit more. But for most people, we see they're having much more frequent migraine at least once a week or more. In those cases, you may need to look at not only having something to do as needed, but doing a longer term treatment. So that could be a medication that you take every day. It could be working with a psychologist such as yourself. It could be trying to identify other things they can do, such as sometimes regular exercise can help migraine or stress management can help migraine. And there are a bunch of new medications that have come out in the last few years, such as Botox injections for chronic migraine. And a lot of these new injectable medicines that it work instead of taking a pill every day to prevent migraine. You can do a once monthly injection for that is specific for migraine. And there's a lot of interest in new devices, electrical devices, which can treat migraine outside the head. So it's really an exciting area of research and there's no shortage of options and things we can do these days. That's a great summary. Uh, Really good short course, but complete course. As you were talking about triggers, it seemed to me that there are some triggers that are probably easier to control than others. If you've got a specific food trigger, it may be uh, just easier to control than you mentioned. If every time it rains, you get a migraine that unless you move, you may have a little bit of difficulty controlling that as a trigger. Right. And there's been a lot of research on triggers and what things might be triggers. For some people, what they call a trigger may actually be a warning sign. So there are these premonitory symptoms that often start before you have a migraine. And some people will feel tired or have neck stiffness or congestion. And so we'll often see someone says, I know my migraine is coming from my neck. 
because I get neck pain and then two hours later I have a migraine. But it actually is just a warning sign. So it can sometimes be hard to sort out what's a warning sign and what is a trigger. And a lot of the triggers are sort of not what people expect. Stress is probably the most common trigger that people will report, maybe with the exception of menstrual periods in women. The most common day to get a migraine, there's actually two of them. One is Monday. The other one is Saturday. A lot of people will kind of get through the stressful work week, and on Saturday, they'll try to relax or sleep in, and that's when they get migraine. This is something we see quite a lot. People actually do well when they're under stress, but as soon as the stressful thing is over is when they get migraine. So I tell people I almost never see someone have a migraine on their wedding day, but I see hear a lot, of, a lot about honeymoon migraines. So that's generally what I tell people. And now there are some people that do get migraine on days where they're under stress, but that's actually a minority for most, most patients. It's often the next day. Yeah, I suspect most people wouldn't have thought about Saturday or when the stress lets down as, as being a trigger. So that's it's really good to know. I'd like to switch gears for a moment. I remember when I was growing up, I went through phases of wanting to be a cowboy or police officer, fireman or doctor, lawyer, or so on. I don't ever recall thinking that they want to become a headache specialist. I'm wondering about your personal journey. How, how did you happen to get into this field? And tell us a little bit about yourself in, in getting yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I didn't have an idea that I would go into medicine until relatively late. I was a, about a soft junior in college when I decided that I liked medicine and I thought medicine would be a good career for me. And if I had asked me this 20 years ago, I would probably say, well, I was a good student and I love learning and I wanted to help people. That's what everyone says. But when you really, now that I'm a little older, I've thought about it, that's not, it's much more complicated than that. Growing up, my mom was a teacher, my dad was an engineer. And my dad was the kind of guy who could, he would do anything for anybody. He would drive, he had, not only was he a great dad and a great husband, but he was a great friend. And he had so many people that called him their best friend. You know, such a really unselfish, caring person. And I don't know that I was especially caring or unselfish, but you know, I think that we all kind of aspire to be a little more like our parents when we're growing up. So as I you know, was a very good student, I always felt that I really wanted to do my best. And I remember my dad would always talk about my grandfather who was an immigrant who was very smart, never had a chance to be successful, but you know, wanted to make a better life for his family. And I always heard stories about my grandmother being a very nice person, very sweet, and a lot like my dad. So I feel like in, in some extent, I wanted to be a doctor to really be a little more like my dad and help people that were suffering and, and in pain. And so neurology to me was seemed like a great fit. And I like things that are not so cut and dry, like cardiology, you have a heart, it pumps, there's an electrical system. In a way, it's a little more straightforward. We know a lot more about the heart than we do about the brain. I found out later in my life, and I really enjoyed psychiatry, by the way, but it really, I always felt kind of like I couldn't accept if someone was to kill themselves. I actually found out a few years ago when my dad was dying that actually my grandmother committed suicide when he was a young man. And I kind of feel on, to some extent, you know, even though I didn't know that growing up and before I went to medical school, 
that was one of the reasons I chose to treat people with headache. You're really making an impact on their life. It's not a thing that people understand, and you can really change their lives. And so I've really enjoyed doing it, and I can't imagine that doing anything else. Well, I can certainly vouch for the fact that aside from being a terrific doctor from a technical standpoint, that you know patients love you, you've had a real impact on people's lives. And I think from a selfish standpoint, we're glad you chose headache because unlike some medical disorders in the neurology field, patients with headache can get better. Migraine, if we get things controlled correctly and throw things into the appropriate balance and so on, we can really see it's not just a matter of getting from reverse to neutral, but actually to be able to get into drive and increased wellness and, and accomplishment. So thanks a lot for sharing that story. About, I guess, if several months ago now, I started to begin to ask people as we were doing these interviews, I said, well, this probably won't be evergreen. It probably, you know, a few months from now, this won't be something that, that will be all that meaningful, but we still are in COVID-19. So that I don't know how long it's going to last, but I suspect it's not ending anytime real soon. So I'm wondering from a practical standpoint, how has your practice changed since COVID-19? Yeah. Well, initially we had a tough time just even we we're really on lockdown and we were not able to see as many new patients and we really focused on doing mostly the procedures in the office. But we've started to do a lot of telemedicine, and that's a big part of our practice now. Before, it was only a once a week kind of thing. Now, it's really almost uh, three days a week for a lot of us. So that's been a big change, doing more with telemedicine remotely. Sometimes you still have to meet mask to mask to see what's going on, if they have a new symptom or new problem. There's some times where you actually have to see people, but one good thing is for a lot of our patients who live far away, we see people up and down the East Coast and a few people from the Midwest or even further away. It's been a way for them to see us during the pandemic. So we're making sure that we're seeing our patients and we're starting to see back to our normal levels of new patients. So we're open for business. We're trying to make the best of it. And what about for the patients themselves? What changes or accommodations have they had to make in their own lifestyles? Is there any, any general findings that you have? Well, some of our patients initially did actually fairly well during the pandemic back in March. And some of it was related to, you know, I'm working from home. I can control my environment. I don't have my coworkers who make noise or wear perfumes every day. I don't have some of the stresses that I normally might have with my commute. So a lot of our patients initially did pretty well. And some of those people that did well, if it continued to do well, they've made adjustments, being able to work from home in many cases if they're able to do that. But of course, many people don't have that option or have lost their jobs. And a lot of people who rely on services such as physical therapy or chiropractic therapy, and they haven't gone back, it's really affected them negatively. We've made a point through this whole thing to make sure that anyone who needs a procedure such as Botox for migraine or nerve blocks and things like that, we can still see them. And I've really encouraged people to don't, don't give up the things that you were doing before that helped you stay healthy. Continue to do 
whatever exercise you can do. If you were doing it before, you know, keep that up. If you're working with a psychologist, keep it up as much as you can. If they can do remote visits or telemedicine, we're still here for procedures that need to be done in person. And, you know, really to keep as much as possible, keep your routines. I know for myself that one of my favorite things was always walking to work and you could put on a podcast or listen to some music. I always enjoyed that. And then those weeks where we were, I was doing telemedicine from home, really missed it. So, you know, don't give up on the things you, you like and try to find a way to do it the best you can with the quarantines and the, and the uh, coronavirus. Yes, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I know early on when nobody was really knowing what was happening, we didn't know, you know, should you leave the house? Can you open a window? Stuff like that. <laughs> you know, there was a, a period of a few weeks where dramatically my exercise dropped off, couldn't go to the gym. And then I had to really begin to start building things in as, you know, having stepped on the scale, I saw that I better, uh, you know, start building in walking and and stretching exercises and things of that nature. While we're kind of in this lifestyle management area, I'm just wondering, I know uh, we hear different things and get advice about what you should be doing from a healthy heart standpoint, even if you're not seeing a cardiologist, if there is no obvious disease, what kinds of things you should do from a nutrition standpoint and so on. Are there some general principles for headache and I guess general medical patients? I know you've mentioned exercise a few times. What's the current physician's thinking on on a healthy lifestyle? I probably should preface this by saying way back before you were born, I think, I had seen a doctor who at that time I was fairly unique in terms of having a regular exercise program. I mentioned it to him and he said, you know, you know how I get my exercise by being a pallbearer for friends who, who exercise. <laughs> and I know that that has changed. So, but aside from exercise, uh, just in general, what are the components of the healthy lifestyle? Yeah, I think that especially in terms of neurological disorders, I think that keeping a regular routine is really important especially if you have migraine, your brain likes to have routine, getting up around the same time every day. And I think having things built into your routine that are good for you is important. So rather than saying, I'll exercise when I feel like it, it really should be something you have on a regular basis. Okay, Tuesday's my day for yoga class and Thursday's my day I do this or I walk my dog every day after dinner is much better than kind of see how you feel and how the spirit moves you. And I think that in terms of just trying to make sure that you have some time in the day where you can do something new and something fun as opposed to doing your just your normal routine is important too. And a lot of the times with the coronavirus, a lot of times people have now that they said, well, now I'm not, you know, commuting to work. I guess I can check my emails more often, really to still have time for yourself where it's blocked off. I think even if you have a job where you are supposed to check your email frequently, to just be realistic about it and say, look, I'm not checking it from 12 to 2 <laughs> every day. You know, there's there's a period of time where I need to kind of get what I need to get done, whether it be early morning for a lot of people works really well. You know, from 8 to 10, that's my most productive time. I really don't want to be disturbed in that time. And then just having that ability to set aside time for yourself 
and do enjoyable things. When you do something fun, you get those endorphins going and that actually helps you. So some people are not, don't really like exercise that much. It's not their favorite thing. And, you know, of course you want to be active, but it, it doesn't really matter exactly what you're doing necessarily. Even if you're just doing something fun, like cooking or learning a language or playing a musical instrument, that can be, can accomplish a lot of those same goals. And then in terms of, you know, everything has kind of changed in terms of diet and, and eating healthy. It's a lot easier to try to eat a lot of healthy food than to try to avoid everything that's bad for you. <laughs> you know, generally a much more realistic strategy. It's a lot easier to maintain a weight than try to dramatically lose a lot of weight, which is not really, for most people, not going to be very realistic or sometimes it's not healthy either, especially sort of these very low carb diets are very hard to follow and require drinking a lot of water. So these are some of the things you kind of want to tell people. It's really more about living your life every day and having healthy lifestyle choices on a regular basis rather than trying to make it happen when you're feeling like it. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. And I can only say in, in working with headache patients as a psychologist, one of the great things about having a routine is that you have to actively decide to not do something if you've got something scheduled. So, you know, if you do have a really debilitating headache, that's one thing, but it's a lot different attitude and a lot better way of getting it done than saying, well, when I feel okay, I'm going to do this because there's nothing triggering you to do it, even if you start feeling okay. Glad we're on the same wavelength on that. We always seem to run out of time before I run out of questions, but there's something I did want to mention since this is the time of the year where we have the Miles for Migraine event in Philadelphia, and I know they have them throughout the country and maybe internationally, but could you mention just what it is? And Because I think it's, it's a really great activity and great organization. Yeah, Miles for Migraine is a nonprofit organization that supports migraine research. And migraine research is something that's never been funded nearly as much as, you know, considering how common migraine is, as much as even things like dental pain. Part of it is because there have never been a lot of headache or migraine specialists. There are more epilepsy specialists than there are migraine specialists, even though migraine is much more common and can be just as devastating or disabling as epilepsy. Part of this is because it goes way back to when psychiatry and neurology sort of became considered to be different fields. And psychiatry, when they would look at brains or do autopsies or do EEGs, if they saw something abnormal like epilepsy or seizures or Parkinson's or MS, that was neurological. If they didn't see anything that was considered like a psychiatric disorder, even though depression and schizophrenia and many of those are all really are neurological disorders as well. And migraine really didn't fit into either of those categories. And primary care doctors have usually large, still treat the majority of people with migraine, sometimes very well, and sometimes they have troubles. So migraine sort of didn't have a lot of champions throughout most of the 20th century. So it's only been really in the last 30, 40 years that migraines gained a lot of interest. And we're one of the few specialties that we'll take in doctors from different backgrounds. We have internal medicine doctors, family medicine, OBGYNs, 
a lot of neurologists, but also physical medicine and even some dentists are interested in migraine. So we'll take all comers. And it's been a challenge to really get migraine research off the ground. And Miles for Migraine has sponsored a lot of our great projects, especially projects that would not be sponsored by a drug company. They're not studying how our patients do, patients with intractable headache, not just the simple types of migraine that you might see on TV. Our projects that our fellows do, often our fellows go on to great things, either staying with us or moving on around the country. So having that money to get them to start a project that leads to better understanding of migraine or other headaches has been really helpful. They're sponsoring research on medical marijuana right now, an older medication called DHE. And a lot of these projects are really meaningful to our patients and will you know, be important for the future development of our fellows training to be headache doctors. Okay, and the event, I think they have their own website, don't they? Miles for Migraine, if somebody is interested. Yeah, Miles for Migraine. This year, we're doing a virtual race in a few weeks, and we encourage everyone to sign up or donate. It's a lot of fun. You don't have to race. You can walk if you'd like. And I think this is either the, is this the ninth year? I believe it's been going on for nine or 10 years now in Philadelphia. At least that long. So we're one of the first sites (laughs) to have it. And it's a lot of fun. And it's been really great for our patients and their families to find out, wow, there are a lot of people with migraine out there who need our help. So we're really looking forward to a fun virtual event this year in the next few weeks. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it's really a supportive group that's involved with it. As much time as I've spent with you over the years, I always learn something new, and I did tonight. It was really, really enlightening and helpful, and hopefully it will be helping others move toward greater wellness and greater understanding. Now, some people who are listening may have migraine or some other type of headache and not really have dealt with it up to this point. So I'm wondering, number one, how do they find you if they're interested and or if they're not in this area, they're someplace else and are interested in seeing somebody locally, although I guess with telehealth now that's less of a limitation, but how they find you and and how do they find somebody who's knowledgeable in headache if they are looking in their local area? Well, the American Migraine Research Foundation maintains an up-to-date list of doctors in headache who have an interest in headache and certification in headache medicine. And really, any one of those doctors on that list would be appropriate. Some of them for pediatric, some doctors will see both adults and kids. So I would think that for most patients, that's a good place to start. Also, for Jefferson, we have a 1-800-JEFF-NOW Like I said, we are seeing people from around the country and, again, people with refractory headache, and I think that's a good resource. Our other number is 215-9558 for new patient appointments. And I think it's also worth just, you know, if you have a doctor you're seeing for migraine, if you don't feel like you're getting good results and you're, you know, I think that just impressing about how it affects your life, hearing that if someone says, I have two migraines a week, that may make you say, okay, well, you can take your medication and I guess that should be good enough. But explaining how it affects you. I have migraine and because of having migraine, I'm not able to attend my classes. I've had to drop out of, drop one of my classes at school. I've had to work part-time instead of full-time. 
explaining how it affects your life when you're working with a doctor or clinician. I think that's important and not just talking about how many headaches you have. Thank you, Michael, for such an enlightening and wellness-oriented course for us today. It's been an absolute delight discussing things with you, helping to spread the word about migraine and headache management and general lifestyle management for patients who have headache or other types of disorders. Again, I'm very grateful that you agreed to do this and people will have your contact information as well as as the other information in the show notes. So this has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our guest has been Dr. Michael Marmura. We really hope that you learned a lot. And if you did, hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, rate our podcasts, download them and tell other people about it. And again, remember our website, The Mental Health Gym. We're always interested in communicating with you. We try to provide up-to-date information about positive psychology and wellness. And we're also always looking for recommendations for podcast guests who you think will continue to promote enthusiasm and wellness as we pursue our mission. So until next time, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off with thanks to Dr. Marmura and we're looking forward to seeing you with another interesting podcast guest next time.